The trailers for Disney Plus's upcoming thriller Andor made one thing immediately clear. This is not your son's Star Wars. The series creator has been unapologetic about Andor's complexity and the ambitious scope of its storytelling. So today, we want to take a look at the adults-only buzz surrounding the Andor premiere and question whether or not Star Wars has always contained mature elements and sophisticated themes. Also on this episode, A Requiem For and A Reckoning With James Bond. It's been almost a year since No Time to Die rocked the Bond fandom. Have fans fully recovered? Are we ready to let the past die and move on to the future? Or did our interest in the franchise die a little when those bombs hit? This is Matt Unreal, episode 48. Let's go. Matt Unreal, this is Arthur, that is Isaac, and I know this is not a Marvel show, but... When we do talk about the fact that you haven't seen Thor, <laughs> Love and Thunder, that's going to be a funny show because I've seen it. And for weeks now, I have kept not just a straight face, but I, this is the first time I've really brought it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't want to, I don't want you to have any indication of what my reaction is or anything like that. You have seen Doctor Strange, so I think it's trash. <laughs> I can say that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely agnostic in your presence Mm -hmm. about Thor. So I just kind of wanted to get that out. It's been a weird, it's been a weird summer because Strange came out, I think in May, right? Mm -hmm. So, or or April or May, excuse me. It's it's been a weird summer, man. Cause I mean, you know, I should have been first in line to see Thor, but I think that was right. I think it was the BA.5 or whatever variant was like just kicking up steam and it was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll go see it the next week. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I just haven't, you know, oh, I know the reasons, um, but I just haven't been able to get there. Um, yeah. Variants and work and, you yeah. know, writing and everything else. So, yeah. But like in comparison, I mean, you you went to No Time to Die, you know, masked up. Yeah, masked, three masks. <laughs> you made it happen. Nope. <laughs> you know? You know what <laughs> Calculated Shields. the time and the day and all that, wind that patterns was, you know and whatnot. What? I, I think that was an event, though, because you were coming to town, and it was like... Yeah. We, and plus, we had been waiting for No Time to Die for like six years. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, variants be damned. We were going to make that happen. Um, right. And you know, but yeah, I just I don't know. It's just it was just a really weird summer in a, in a good in a good way and a bad way, but mostly in a good way. And I think that um, once we got into like early August, yeah. I was like, okay, this joint is probably going to hit Disney Plus any minute. Mm-hmm. But it just got to the point where it's like I might as well just wait, you know, because everybody has seen it and everybody is like, I've heard a little bit of the buzz or non buzz about it, you know. So yeah. it's like. I might as well wait at this point. So um, that wasn't the only movie I missed this summer, um, unfortunately. But yeah, hopefully this fall will be different. But we'll do. Um, we've got a. We've got a, some interesting things to kind of speculate on when it comes to Marvel. But that's not this show. What, what no. are we talking about this show? This show is about the upcoming premiere of Andor, um, a, another Star Wars small screen uh, production. L- really looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not enjoy Kenobi as much as I hoped I would. Mm. And I probably enjoyed Kenobi. Well, I won't say probably. I enjoyed Kenobi more 
than Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. I think this is the one that's going to rival how I feel about Mandalorian. I think is this it, is going to be the one. Yeah, it's interesting you say small screen, which it is. It's on the small screen, but from everything that we've seen and kind of heard and read, it's the maybe the biggest scope, you know what I'm saying, in terms of the storytelling scope mm-hmm. that we may have ever seen in Star Wars. You know, Yeah, um, first one that has not been produced in the volume. Right, yeah, visually and just uh, uh, narratively, yeah, in both of those regards, this may be just... If it lives up to the to the kind of foreshadowing right. and the hope right. or the hype, you know, it may be the biggest scope that we've ever seen in one story. Um, you know, I, the Star Wars kind of the canon of Star Wars and the um, the breadth of the storytelling itself is huge. You know what I'm saying? Because you yeah. got this whole, you know, all the stuff that you and I, the all the stuff that you and I know about if we put our heads together is just a tiny fraction of the entire, you know, scope of storytelling in terms of. Like if you get one of these like really hardcore Star Wars fans, then they'll they'll break down what's happening on some planet, you know, in the war that happened after Endor and all. You know, they'll just get in like real into the weeds on it. So it's like that part of the the um, the canon is huge, but in one story, I think mm-hmm. this is going to be if again if it lives up to the hype, this will be the biggest kind of like scope that we've seen within one um, show or one one movie. Now you know uh, the trailer it. It, you know, and, and all Star Wars trailers, you know, do have kind of a cinematic feel to them, regardless if they're going to be destined for the movie theaters or they're going to be destined for Disney+. Plus. But this trailer really gives a clear signal that this show is going to be a different kind of Star Wars. And I do think that because this is the first production done in uh, on location mm-hmm. and not digitized— it's going to have an effect on how the performances are. Because, you know, a lot of what helps Star Wars in the storytelling are the environments. Mm-hmm. And I think that, not to deviate too far off of Vandor, but if we looked at the first, well, episodes one through three, which were green screen heavy. You're talking about of Obi-Wan. Of Star Wars. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, Star Wars. The films. Okay. okay. Yeah. Phantom Menace, Attack yeah. of the Clones. So those three, you know, being that they were in front of green screen, the majority of the filming mm-hmm. had a very different feel than episodes four, five, and six. Right. This one, you know, like Rogue One, the film mm-hmm. we love so much, like Rogue mm-hmm. One, is in real environments. I do think it's going to influence the feel of yeah. the story. Yeah, I mean, that trailer, man, you know, the first, okay, so the first Andor trailer Mm. was a shot, you know, the shot across the bow, basically, to say, listen, this is not, as you you said in the opening, this is not your son's Star Wars, this ain't your nephew's, this is a level of storytelling that's like maybe a little different than what you were anticipating. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say it's interesting, when you go back to, uh, God, what was that, 2000, when did Mando premiere? Mando premiered in 2018 or 2019. Um, if you go back to before that, when it was announced they were going to do this Star Wars streaming series, there was some speculation. People were like, okay, great. We're going to get like our version of the Star Wars version of Game of Thrones. You know, they, mm-hmm. it was like that. Mm-hmm. We want, mm-hmm. I think, you know, some fans were like, we want an HBO level um, Star Wars show. 
Yeah. Um, and so it was almost like that even back then, I think that some fans, maybe not the entire fan base, mm-hmm. but some fans were hungry for a more, um, I don't want to keep saying wider, but, you know, or bigger, but just a more nuanced level of storytelling um, than we were getting in some of the other stuff. Now, we'll talk about it a little bit later, because to me, I think you could argue that there is a lot of nuance in Mandalorian. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, we'll talk about the Variety art- article um, on Andor in a little bit, but I think they did kind of shortchange some of the storytelling that's already been done. And I think one of that is that it's just to kind of like paint the Mandalorian as a very basic, you know, show. It isn't. Um, there are there are layers there. There is nuance there. Um, but yeah, to your point, just looking at things, just looking at that trailer was very impactful, and it just yeah. brought you back to that. I mean, the opening of Rogue One, like you said, when what's his name, our boy Krennic. When Krennic mm-hmm. gets off that ship and he walks through that 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 grass and that kind of like those plains, and you see, um, uh, what's my guy? Uh, uh, Did you talk about Jen? Yeah, Jen Urso? Uh, Urso, Urso, not Galen. Urso, but Galen, Galen, Galen Urso. Uh-huh. Uh, I was seeing him in Casino Royale wiping um, blood out of his eyes, <laughs> yeah. weeping, weeping tears. But anyway, when you see him um, coming towards Krennic, and then you see the Death Troopers, and they're in that real, you know. It looks like a this just it looks like a real world environment, but you know it's on another planet. You see the the tech that just shows you that it's another. It was mm-hmm. just great. It was just like whoa, this is this is different. You know, this mm-hmm. feels different. It feels mm-hmm. tangible in a way that some of the other stuff does not. And so, looking at this Andor trailer, I felt the same way, and it was immediate, and it was visceral, and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, what is you know, this is not what I was expecting, and I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that. So far to this point, and again, that's why I said before, you know, we'll see what happens. But at this point, this feels really different, man. And I think to your point, yeah, a lot of it is about not shooting in the volume. And this is not a slight against the volume because first season of Mandalorian, there were scenes that they shot in the volume that you could not tell, that you would have sworn Mm -hmm. they were in some desert, you know, somewhere Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in another part of the world, you know, shooting it. You didn't think they were in, in the volume, but you found out later they were. So not to slight the volume, but nothing is better than real, you know, especially, and I, I think that marries with the type of storytelling that Tony Gilroy, who was the showrunner and the creator of Andor, the series, it, it marries with the kind of storytelling he wants to do. You know, yeah. it was almost like you really had to shoot this in real world environments. You know, I got a lot of good information, backstory information from an article that appears uh, in the current issue of Variety magazine, um, mm-hmm where the author Adam Vary talked with Gilroy about uh, Andorra. And, you know, after, after he made Rogue One and it proved to be really successful, uh, both at the box office and with the fans, Kathleen Kennedy came to him like, you know, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Yeah, because you know? it made a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So green light. So yeah. if it was clowns flying around in spaceships, that's, <laughs> you know, light. let's try it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gilbert was saying that, you know, immediately he really wasn't, you know, interested in in doing, you know, something else. And a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, service to merchandise. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, a lot of our criticism with, with, with Star Wars has to do with uh, a lot that's maybe maybe a little. But it does squarely lay at the feet of the merchandising, where there always has to be some kind of cute character, mm-hmm. cute, you know, small, fuzzy, 
beepity boobity type character <laughs> right. in I order mean. to drive, you know, toy sales. Right. And in Rogue One, in a funny kind of way, we actually got that, but we got that with with a reprogram uh, <laughs> reprogram Imperial Droid. Right. And it should be it should be noted that just really quickly, Gearroy yeah. has been on record as saying he's he's not a huge Star Wars fan. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it isn't like you know because everybody who works on Star Wars says that you know yes this has been a, this is a dream come true. I've always yeah. loved Star Wars ever since I was a little kid. Blah blah blah. Uh-huh. He's like, no, I'm not a Star Wars fan. This is not a dream come true. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? When, and this is, these were comments that came out during when Rogue One where he was brought in. He, he had, I think he co-wrote the script, but then he was brought in to do reshoots because Gareth mm-hmm. Edwards, of course, is the director on Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Gilroy was brought in to do not just reshoots, but extensive reshoots, which mm-hmm. basically the lore um, is that the studio wasn't exactly happy with what Gareth, Gareth Edwards has done. Not mm-hmm. to say it was bad. I think maybe it was too violent or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So they brought in Gilroy to do extensive reshoots. And that's mm-hmm. why his, when the movie makes a billion dollars, that's why it's kind of like, you know, they go after him again because his fingerprints are on Rogue One. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's him. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it was just kind of... No, no, no. Because yeah, I actually, I, I forgot about that. I forgot about... Um how he came into the franchise to begin with. And it's it's interesting that in this case, it's you don't need a fan in the room mm-hmm. to actually do better service to the story. And the perspective, you know, here just has to do with real people doing real stuff. Yeah, because I, I think it's different. I think it's okay, like you just said, you don't have to be a, a super fan or a obsessed with Star Wars as long as you appreciate the landscape. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like as a storyteller... You're looking at this landscape that's been built, this canon, this these this this galaxy that's been built, and I think for not to obviously not to speak for him, but based on the Variety article that you're that you're referencing, I think Gilroy looked at that and says, you know what, there's a really interesting story, and he even says it. I, I'm trying to find the quote, but he even says he uses it. Um, what was his term? Um, almost using you know the Star Wars universe as like this kind of like palette you know or this this canvas that's not what he says but I'm just putting words in his mouth because mm-hmm. I can't find the quote but basically just using it almost as a canvas for him for the story that he wanted to tell so there's an appreciation for the Star Wars the galaxy the the storytelling universe and I think that's to your point I think that's fine you know you don't yeah. have to be a an obsessive fan of everything um, it help you know. Again, I think it works like if you're John Favreau or you're Dave Filoni. Obviously, mm-hmm. it works very well sure. because you so, you've seen what they've been able to do. The Clone Wars television series does not happen, you know, if Dave Filoni, especially the latter seasons, if Dave Filoni isn't the fanatic that he is about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with Andor, I think you're going to get something different simply because this person is not. In the into the lore that much, they're looking at kind of the canvas of Star Wars and saying, "What can I, what can I paint here?" You know, and I think that's I think that's really interesting. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry, I found I found the quote. So he says, um, "I read the whole quote." This is from Gilroy out of the Variety article. All right. Um, I wanted to do it about real people. Gilroy says mm. they made all this IP about the royal family. In essence, of course, talking about the star about the Skywalkers. It's been great, but there's a billion, billion, billion other beings in this galaxy. In this galaxy, there's plumbers and cosmeticians, journalists. What are their lives like? The revolution is affecting them just as much as anybody else. Why not use the Star Wars canon as a host organism 
for absolutely realistic, passionate, dramatic storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's what I'm saying. He's he looks at it, that's what the term he used, host organism. So if you look at it like that, Star Wars, the the um, the galaxy, and all the storytelling that's been told since 1977 is so rich. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you, you can mm-hmm. you can tell pretty much any story you want within this galaxy. So mm-hmm. I think that's what initially or finally attracted to because he, you know, Kathleen Kennedy kind of had to like talk him into doing this because they were all ready to do um, and or somebody else. I don't know who that somebody else was. Uh-huh. But they had already had a script written and they sent it to uh, Gilroy just for him to check it out. And he was like, oh, this is cool, but this is probably not going to work. And he's like, here's what I would do. And they were like, mm-hmm. OK, do that. You know what I'm saying? Do that. And he's like, oh, I didn't think, you know, you, you, I didn't, basically he's like, I didn't think you guys would be cool with that. They're mm-hmm. like, we're cool with that. Do that. And his what he's his idea is, yeah, using it as a host organism to tell a story that's realistic, passionate, and dramatic. And that's why I think what brings us here today, like, okay, is this as there are as the variety article kind of um um put out there, is this adult Star Wars? Yeah. Well so the thing is though, ha- has it always been for adults? I know that. In fact, you you reminded me that it was George Lucas that had said that Star Wars was really written for twelve year olds. Yeah, yeah. And hearing that, I never really, th- I never thought about it like that. I kind of thought about it more like it was sort of shaped for twelve year olds. Mm. Um, I mean, so let's take let's take two broad areas. In Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, the violence in these stories and the themes of these stories. Right. And that, and that's what I'm like, because I, I completely understand what George Lucas's intent was. I think it was to take huge themes and allegorical type storytelling, basically, and present it in a way that a 12 year old could consume it. Mm-hmm. But there's all types of stuff in here that's like yeah a 12 year old can consume that but an older an adult person would look at that like just you know the obvious thing you know the father-son relationship you know the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 tension and the whole epic thing between um anakin and luke that's something yeah a 12 year old when i was 12 i got it you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like i saw you know when empire and jedi it was like okay yeah you know that's you know that's crazy you know that he's just you know darth raider is the father and it's like that's on one level yeah. As you get older, the reason that the story sticks with us is because of the allegorical nature of it. It's like it has so many layers to it. And yeah. those type of themes are the things that you start to look at them. It's almost like it's almost like, Arthur, you're in a room and there's something in the center of that room. Mm-hmm. And when you're 12, you're standing on this side of the room and looking at it. And so you see this. Then when you get older, you can move to a different side of the room and see a whole nother thing. Then you get older, you know what I'm saying? It's like you can right. continuously move around this room and you get the 360 view of this thing. Mm-hmm. So the violence and the themes, I think that's a great place for us to start because first of all, let's, let's talk about the violence because I think that's the easy thing. This shit is never like episode, episode three, the original Star Wars movie, or episode four, original Star Wars movie. A billion. How many people get died on Alderaan, Arthur? You know what I'm saying? It's like they just blew up an entire planet. You know, it's like we just saw them commit genocide on a level that's never been. You know what I'm saying? It's like unprecedented genocide took place 
right in front of our faces. Yeah. That ain't no kid stuff. Now, no. the way it was done, you could argue, because they just aimed a big laser at it and blew it up. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like they went in with machetes and took people, you know what I'm saying? It was like, yeah. you could argue like, okay, yeah, the there way was it was done. Disconnect that right, inherently... There was a disconnect, exactly. That, that made it okay for a 12-year-old, you know, if you want to say that. Really, once you put war in the title, it probably shouldn't be okay for a 12-year-old. Let's just be, be real about it. But... That level of violence and that we see even from the beginning. And then when, once you get to the Clone Wars, this stuff ain't for adults, man. I'm so, I mean, for kids. I'm sorry. When Ahsoka is beheading four Mandalorians with mm-hmm. one move, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Beheading mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking mm-hmm. off heads, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when uh, Maul is beheading cats, you know, it's like this is not kitty stuff. Um, but it, the violence in Star Wars has been handled. For one thing, there's never any blood. You know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rarely. I don't think the. I think we might have. Do we see blood in the Mandalorian? I think Din may have been ble- been bleeding at one point. I yeah. don't know. Well, you saw Luke bleed in Empire, but okay. it's because he got scratched up, and Darth Vader kept hitting him with. Like, <laughs> okay, so it's ba- like we, you we know, rarely cargo we rarely bins see. and stuff. <laughs> right, but when it, when when dude's hand gets cut off, there was no blood. You know, no, spouting it's just out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just sin. So, what what was the first what was the first Star Wars film that you saw in theaters? Um, I think God, I'm glad you asked that because I was just thinking about that because I watched Empire recently. I watched Empire on uh, mm-hmm. you know Disney Plus uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe about a month or so ago, um, and it, I was thinking about that when I was watching it. It's like, did I see? Because I couldn't remember. Did I see Empire in a the theater? And I don't. Yeah. The math doesn't work. You know, I'm yeah. like, I had to. It had to be a Return of the Jedi. I don't mm-hmm. think I saw Empire in the theater. I remember though being on the playground between Empire and Jedi, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. arguing about whether or not. Vader was really his father, you know what I'm saying? Because it was like that was the cliffhanger. Because we were like, because uh, there was there was some cast that was like, yeah, that's definitely his father. Mm-hmm. And then there was the hopeful people like me who were like, no, there's uh-huh. still some, there's still some rooms. Like they uh-huh. leaving it open, you know? It's like we got to wait for the next movie. So I remember having those arguments, but I don't um, I don't recall. I'm looking at the math, and it's like I don't think I would have seen Empire in the theater. I was too I was too young. Okay, so. You saw, I saw, you saw Empire in the theater. Yes, but I also saw Star Wars in the theater. You must. Oh, so you you went. You were four or five years old. So did I you was six. Okay. Wow. So I was you six were... years old, and we saw it. My mom took me, and we saw it at the Esquire Theater on Oak Street. Mm. Now, now nice. that that That's morning, I know it now, had to be crazy and i know they had they probably had the big poster out in the front. Yeah, they had it all, man. And I remember, I remember distinctly because. Um, I didn't want to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any interest in it. I don't remember why, but I didn't. But my mom took me. Uh, but she first took me, so it must have been like a Saturday or a Sunday, to there was used to be a restaurant on Oak and Rush Street called the Oak Tree mm. Breakfast Spot. Yeah, they, and, moved, they moved to, uh, God, why you got to bring up bad stuff, man? They moved to the 900 building. I went there about 5,000 times, and then they closed about two years ago. Okay, so I, I have yeah the the location that I remember that we had breakfast several times. I love the pancakes and the waffles, but particularly the pancakes. Make their own well documented, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and afterwards, we went to Star Wars, but we were a little late. Mm. So when we finally got into the seats, we got there just in time for Vader to walk in and and grab the soldier by the throat and lift him up. Mm. Okay. That was my. First exposure to Star Wars, and I was like, "What in the entire fuck is going on? This is some terror type shit." 
you know, <laughs> and it didn't really calm down until the Wookiee got involved into the story. Then I was cool. <laughs> but because there was really no sign of oppression mm-hmm. in this trailer of Andor seems to really speak to what they're going to get into mm-hmm. is how the oppression is enacted mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So, yeah, I'm hoping that if we're calling it, you know, adult, it's because they're getting into the nitty gritty of how people are, in fact, oppressed based on occupation. So let me let me if I can extrapolate a little bit from that and kind of like see because I, I just kind of like uh, look at how that compares to what they've done before. So thematically, because yeah. we both agree violent and violent wise always been violent as hell. It's just been kind of like, you know bloodless violence Mm -hmm. thematically i think maybe their themes have been a little bloodless too and then what i mean by that is that they've shown like we just talked about they've shown oppression but not really shown it they've shown um you know all all the themes that they've had you know father son you know romantic love um familial things found family you know all those things have been kind of presented thematically in a way that's, you know, a little bit bloodless, you know, for lack of a better term, a little bit mm-hmm. um, softened a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you're saying is that Andor may, big quotes around may, because we haven't seen it, maybe Andor is going to be the one that like kind of rips the bandaid off and says, okay, this is what it looks like to be oppressed. This is what empire looks like. This is what colonialism looks like. You know, yeah. it could, could, you know, Still dealing with Disney, still dealing with Lucas Plus, still dealing with filmmakers who are steeped mm-hmm. in empire themselves, come from empire. You know, mm-hmm. let's be honest, come from um, worlds that have been in, colonized, just like we're sitting in one right now. So that is a that is a big asterisk and a caveat, obviously, because like we don't, you know, the, the likelihood, as we always say on this show, the likelihood of them going to the place that we want them to go is not very great. Mm-hmm. But I'm just kind of like looking at what the point that you're making and running with it a little bit, there's a possibility of that, right? There's a possibility that Andor may be the one to rip the Band-Aid off in, in terms yeah, of oppression. I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, thinking about uh, jumping into the land of uh, DC Comics, you mm-hmm. know, thinking about the Dark Knight and Bruce Wayne purposefully living like a criminal, meaning he's depriving himself of any of his wealth to understand the mind of what's considered to be a criminal. Why do people steal? And at a basic level, I'm stealing because I need to eat. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing something that's not in my character based on the fact of first law of survival. And I'm wondering if that's what Cassie and Andor's situation is, that because, mm-hmm. of the, because of the oppression, he needs to do these things in order to survive. And as he matures and realizes the cause of his effect decides to infiltrate that cause to destabilize mm. it from within. So you're saying maybe because when we first see him as a spy in Rogue One, you know, he murders someone basically, right. you know, essentially, right. essentially like, you know, um, this is for the greater good. But you're saying that maybe in Andor we see him join the Empire because he has no other choice. And then once he sees in real, you know, his eyes open to what the Empire is doing and how because there's a great line in the trailer that um, my guy, I think Stellan Skarsgård uh, says. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He says, the Empire, I'm paraphrasing. I may be getting it right, but I'm just going to say paraphrasing in case I'm not getting it right. 
he says, you know, the empire has been strangling us for so long that we've mm-hmm. started not to notice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, when I heard yeah, that yeah. line, that's when I was like, oh shit. Like they may really get it. Cause it's like, that's life and empire. That's, that's, that is how, that is how, um, good people or people who have, um, who otherwise would say, no, we, you know, we don't represent these types of, this is how you exist within empire because yeah. the strangling takes place. Um, whether you are uh, being strangled economically, um, mentally, emotionally, um, whatever, culturally, the strangling takes place for so long and so so um, consistently that you start not to notice it. It just it, you just start to accept it, and that's just about how things are. As the brothers in the barbershop will say, that's just the game. You know, the game mm-hmm. is the game. That's just where mm-hmm. the game is played. So. To your point, though, Cassian may start to realize the hands that are around his neck, essentially, metaphorically, and realize he doesn't want that and say, okay, I'm going to infiltrate the very system or the very empire that I've joined in order to bring it down. Yeah. And, you know, um, actually, the Kenobi series introduced that concept um, specifically with um, the role of uh, the character Tia, Indira Mm -hmm. Varma's character who joined the empire, realized what it was and began to spy mm-hmm. for, for the rebellion. And she talked, she said to Ben Kenobi, she's like, you know, there are, there are others like me that are doing this very thing. Once we realized what we were getting ourselves into, once we had gotten ourselves into. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. So how do you feel about the structure of the show? In, in that, in that, there are twelve episodes. the f- The premiere is going to be on September the twenty first in the U.S., mm-hmm. and they're going to show a three episode story arc like that night. And then, um, the way that the story seems to be structured is that they're going to be four three part arcs to comprise the series in order to take on the number of years to meet up with the beginning of Rogue One. Mm. Um, how do you feel about that? I like I th- it. I, I actually, thought, I kind of like that. Yeah, my, my initial thought when I saw that, it just kind of laid out um, or described by somebody on YouTube. I was like, that sounds really wild. Like that's, it didn't make sense to me at first, but then when I heard Gilroy talk about it in the Variety article and basically, because he, again, he, he was just like, yo, I can't do this for, you know, five, I can't do a year, you know, it's five years before Rogue One. Mm-hmm. If we do it like the first season and it's just like one year, it's like, that means four more seasons. He's like, I mm-hmm. can't do that. Um, it's, this is not sustainable, you know, for that mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. Um, just the scope of this. So when he described it and like put the reasoning behind it, it made sense to me. And it's like, okay, I can see really how you can, the necessity, because basically what he's saying is that the scope of this thing from a storytelling perspective is so big that to sustain it for four seasons is not doable. It's not a good look, basically. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good look. And so the reason for them to structure it the way they've done it is a storytelling reason. And that's why I'm like, I'm cool with it. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing on September 21st, we get those three episodes. And I'm guessing if, if it follows the other Disney Plus shows, maybe there'll be 30 minutes, anywhere between 30 and 50 minutes, you know, average. Um, it could be 40 minutes, could be 55 minutes, who knows. Um, 
but I'm looking forward to seeing, okay, the beginning and the end. We'll get, we're going to get a full story arc, mm-hmm. you know, within that. Because it, it should be, I think, and I think most of the listeners already know this, but this is not just, as we've kind of alluded to, this is not just Andor's story. This is not just casting Andor's story. They're calling it Andor, essentially, I think, because he's the character, he's the marketable IP. You know, mm-hmm. he's the character mm-hmm. from Rogue One. He's the one you know, even though you know what happens at the end of Rogue One. You know um, him from that movie, and he's likable. Diego Luna's care, you know, it, they they like him. People like him. K two S O, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, another marketable IP. I don't know when and you know exactly what point he'll show up in this show, mm-hmm. um, but that's why they're calling it Andor. But really, this is a um, what do you call it, Arthur? My brain just uh, uh, blinked out. What do you call it? Not a uh, an ensemble. This is an ensemble show. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're and and you know. Mon Mothma was shown as as much in the trailer as Andor was. You know, yeah, we got a lot of yeah. Mon Mothma, Mothma clips in there, and then Stellan Skarsgård's character was also shown just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera. Forrest Whitaker shows up, so it's like we're going to get all of these characters, and I think that there's just, and I think in the Variety article they mentioned there's like 200, you know, other characters. Not, not obviously, not mm-hmm. all of them are getting screen time, but I'm saying. 200 people who are going to be rotating in and out it's just a lot man and so yeah i'm full i'm fully behind them scoping this in the way that they feel is necessary in order to actually tell a good story rather than saying we need to drag this out for five seasons um and i think that the streaming platform allows them you know to do this um, Mm -hmm. which is one of the huge benefits of streaming over um terrestrial tv yeah, I, I like it for many of the reasons that you stated, but even on a very selfish level, I think it's going to help me keep better track of where we are in the canon. Because like on this show, I have a lot of trouble realizing it's like, OK, but <laughs> also it canon. seems like the way the, the way that the time would jump with these three episode arcs mm-hmm. would give the opportunity be more conducive to be able to actually show and delve into the real impact of colonialism and empire. Right. Because even in the trailer, we get into the Senate side, we get into the rebel side, we get into the basic person Mm -hmm. side of it. Um, We get into the extreme arm of the rebellion, which is what Saul Guerrero represents. And we get some, we get a lot of his backstory in the clone wars Mm -hmm. uh, and also in star Wars rebels and those animated series. Um, showed up in Bad Batch too. It showed up in Bad Batch. So you know, do 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 you think? Do you think they will take it further to where we want to take it? Further in terms of um, oh, in terms of the the themes and yeah, it, really talk about these themes. It's you know, it's hard to say, man. Because also the other thing to throw into that is you know, we talk on this show a lot about colorism. And so mm-hmm. in Star Wars, especially, you're dealing with a galaxy where um, among the human species, race in terms of, you know, skin color doesn't matter. You know, it's not that's not anything, you know, it's, it's, it's not an issue. It's like they don't separate. There is some I, there is some racism you see between different species. You know, yeah. they think this about Wookiees or the mm-hmm. Wookiees think this about um, uh, I forgot the cast of like the mortal enemies of the Wookiees. But, you know, there's all these different things between species. But in terms of the human species, there's no discussions about race. Right. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting on this show. When we saw the trailer, I saw people of color 
on the on the um oppressed side. You saw it opens up the last trailer that they dropped, the one we just watched before the show started. Remember the brother looks up, he's on the ground, he looks up and he sees, mm-hmm. and then the then the then the sister looks up and she looks like she could be if it was our if it was our world, she looks like she could be maybe either Latino, indigenous American, you know, she has she's a person of color mm-hmm. basically. And mm-hmm. she looks up. It's gonna be interesting to see how many people of color are, are on the Empire side and mm-hmm. are they gonna be prominent? Traditionally in Star Wars, you know, on the Empire side, it's been white people, white actors of European, mostly um, English, British background. You know, mm-hmm. that's been like the mm-hmm. the trope, you know, within the within on the Empire side, right? Um, with notable exceptions, obviously, some of our some of our favorite characters, but a lot of them have been, you know, the the arist- 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 excuse me, the aristocratic, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the aristocracy that kind of a tone and feel, you know, because here in, in our real world, we associate those things, whether we, you know, on a, on a conscious level or subconscious level, we associate those things with, um, empire, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see in this show, this, uh, just, uh, again, just another Mm -hmm. thing to throw in there, how colorism plays a part. Um, but to answer your question, I you know if again, and we've we've done this with a couple of different shows when we talk about new Star Wars stuff and how far they may go. I'll just throw it out there that I think odds are that they won't go as far as we want them to go. That's I think that's where the safe money is. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that they at least go, you know, in that direction that you and I will want to see them go, because all the pieces are there. Listen, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. One of the best arcs ever on Clone Wars, one of my favorite arcs, was the uh, when the other Jedi came in, took over Anakin's um, uh, uh, clone troopers. Mm-hmm. Rex, you know, Rex was head of his his uh, unit. The other Jedi came in. It turns out, you know, spoiler alert. Turns out he's a Sith. You know, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he comes in, takes over, and he starts treating them essentially like slaves and less than human. Yeah, and it gets to the point where Rex actually gets in this dude's face and says, "I am a man," you know, and it's like that's a very obvious callback um, to the same statements made by black men holding up signs um, during the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. "I am a man," mm-hmm. and that whole arc was about. I mean, it was very um, thinly disguised, but it was about you know, are these clones? who were created, you know, and genetically altered to serve the Republic, mm-hmm. are they slaves? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like the whole, it was like, a, I think it was like a four, maybe five episode arc. And the whole, you know, thematically, that's what that arc was about. And so at the very least, I would want to see Andor live up to that standard and just be that bold about it and examining something as um, relevant to our world as colonialism and empire and oppression. Um, will it happen? I don't know, but that's, that's what I would want. So piggybacking off of what we want, what you want. If, if, if Andor makes good on all of this promise of elevated level of storytelling, you know, how do you think the star Wars fandom will react? And let me say one thing, and we in and, and before we started recording, we actually watched the trailer again together. I gotta say, I don't think I've seen a lightsaber. Mm. Do you yeah. you know? Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if that's going to be acceptable. 
It's like, well, you know, I need to see, I need to mm-hmm. see the swordsmanship. Did we see, I don't think we saw a lightsaber in the first season of Mando, did we? We saw the force, obviously, but I don't think we saw a lightsaber in the first season. Oh, we saw the, um, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the Mandalorian lightsaber. The, um, the dark, uh, the dark, the dark saber. We saw that. Um, yeah. Cause homeboy brought it at the end, but, and then in, in bad batch, we haven't seen a lightsaber in the bad batch. Um, so will they accept the lack of a lightsaber? Yes. I think they mm-hmm. will. Will mm-hmm. they accept? I think, see, the, the thing is that I think star Wars fans are ready, especially you got to remember, man, there's a whole, Star Wars fans are, are horrible. We've said that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm sorry, but they're the worst fandom. It's like they they bug out over everything. It's like whatever. Mm. But a, a huge chunk of Star Wars fans, for one thing, are Gen X. You know, a huge chunk of Star Wars series mm-hmm. hardcore fans are Gen X because they were mm-hmm. there from day one. Right. Um, like you, you know, they yeah, saw right. you know they saw it in the theater. Right. So, I think that group is definitely ready for a quote unquote more mature. You know. Um, mm-hmm elevated level of storytelling even though as i think we've established a lot of that maturity has already been in star wars um just in different forms but they're they're i think they're ready for the full-on you know quote-unquote adults only star wars i think they're ready for that and i think some of the younger ones if it looks cool enough i think they'll be they'll be into it except they may not the viewership you know the numbers i could see going down you know i could see Mm -hmm. the premiere being up here but then if the 12 year 12 year olds and the 15 year olds who aren't into this sophisticated level storytelling, I could see them dropping off, you know, Mm -hmm. especially because this is lore that we, it's like, you're basically going to see how the rebellion was formed, but it's not like Darth Vader versus, or versus um, Obi-Wan, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, Mm -hmm. you really, you know, you don't have to see this, you know, you, this isn't going to have a huge impact um, probably on the rest of the Canon, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see a lot of the younger fans dropping off. The question, I think the more important question is, will, as the press and the media and the, the same thing, the media gets hold of this. And if this is a big hit and then, um, other fans who aren't diehard Star, Star Wars fans come in and get a hold of this mm-hmm. and really start to love it. How is the Star Wars fandom going to react to that? Cause basically then you're going to have a bunch of people coming in and saying, listen, that other Star Wars crap that y'all love, that's just for kids. I'm not with that. That's whatever. That's um, very um, basic, essentially. This right here is, you know, the kind of Star Wars that you should be into. This is this is high-level thinking. All Star Wars should be like that. That's when I can actually see a negative reaction and maybe a warranted negative reaction coming from this, the, the core fan base. You know, because they may be like, you motherfuckers just showed up. You know what I'm saying? We and you're gonna tell us how Star Wars should be because of this new thing that you love. Um yeah. that could be I could see that being a, a conversation or as they say, a discourse that could happen. Yeah, just to tie this off, you know, I wonder uh, I, I think I think I think there's a better chance that, that that the fan base, both old and new, will take will take to this show because Mandalorian in particular maybe laid the groundwork for it. Mm-hmm. And depending on how K2SO is used, you know, he may be the, you know, the the spiritual stand-in for Baby Yoda, for Grogu, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of it, you know, I, I'm thinking about how the Solo film, the Han Solo origin story film failed. 
commercially. Mm-hmm. And that's a film based on like a well-loved character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, is it because they dip their toe in the water of kind of real, as we've said on this show, grounded storytelling, but just mm-hmm. didn't go far enough? You know, or was this just just not the story to tell, you know, on the big screen? Um, there are probably a lot of variables to it, but you know, it's like if Andor, if it wasn't Andor, as a twelve series, a twelve episode series, but if it was Solo, a twelve mm. episode series, mm. you know, would would that have done better? Because we really wanted to get into Han Solo's backstory. I think Andor may have a better shot because it's not such sacred ground. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that messed up Solo for a lot of people was that they it was such sacred ground that once you put a different character in, or actor in there, mm-hmm. they were already turned off. And, you know, in my opinion, they missed out on a lot of good things that happened in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they I think that so I, I think Andor has a better chance because this is not sacred ground. You know, it's like you're dealing with a character that was popular in Rogue One, but it's not like he's not, he ain't Han Solo, you know? And it's like, then you have all these other characters that have kind of been in the background, mm-hmm. but they haven't been, you know, they're not, they're not held on to or treasured in the way that, you know, the core, um, as, as Tony Gilroy said, the royal family is. Mm-hmm. So I think the Andor may have a better shot and, um, you know, not, not touching on some of those um, sensitive areas or, you know, that some of the hardcore fans have. Yeah. Okay. This, and this this quote. Um, read this before we before we move on. This is another quote from the Variety article um, from Gilroy that really just touches on what we were just talking about. He says, "You should be able to watch the show, talking about the new Andor show, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not give a shit about Star Wars or have never seen any Star Wars. Mm-hmm. This show should work on its own." In the same breath, however, Gilroy adds that the hope, the dream. And he says the hope and the dream is that the really hardcore Star Wars community will embrace the show in a new way, that they'll be thrilled to have someone come in and completely uncynically get down molecularly in their world and treat it like a real thing. So it's kind of like what he's saying here is that, you know, he wants basically all those people who don't give a damn about Star Wars and never watch Star Wars. He wants them to come on and Uh watch it. Mm-hmm. But then he also wants the the hardcore fans to be like, you know what? We really appreciate you treating our, you know, universe in a very respectable way and doing something completely different with it and taking it to a level that we didn't think it could be taken to. Mm-hmm. So he's on kind of like dangerous ground because it's like you don't want to insult people. You don't want to say, yeah, all, you know, again, like that stuff you've been looking at is cool, but it's like this is even better because it's deeper. It's more nuance is more dramatic it's more literary it's more all you don't want to insult people that way but you also want them to look at what you're doing and say yeah that's a different way to tell a star wars story and we're glad Mm -hmm. you did it yeah okay all right let's get off of this and let's get on god damn let's get on james bond therapy for arthur yeah let's do it therapy for arturo i said in the opening you know know, it's been about a year hold on let's pause right here and play the bond theme just to get you in the mood. (laughs) 
Okay, now you're in the mood. Let's go. All right, you ready now? Let's go. <laughs> so, like I said in the intro, you know, it's been about a year since there's No Time to Die uh, came out in theaters. Isaac and I, we did see it together. Um, we even did a did a, a a live reaction after seeing it show uh, that's in the feed. You know, and okay, you know, I've, I have seen the movie twice, maybe three times. I think I kind of conflate. I can't mm. really remember, which is also telling. But, I, you know, I obviously saw it in the theater, but I saw it once at home. Mm-hmm. And um, it stung just as much as it did. Let's, uh, you know, let's go back to the end of that, because there's two there's two big moments or there's two big um, of uh, experiences I have with you where you were like completely shook after a movie. The <laughs> first one was um, Infinity War. <laughs> Because uh-huh. after everybody gets dusted and then, you know, you you weren't really shook by that. You were like, damn, that was, you know, we were all kind of like, oh, shit, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. It was the post credit sequence with Captain Marvel. You yeah. Know, the, the, the pager, you know, right. Fury goes Nick into Fury the, pages. Yeah, goes into glove compartment, pulls out. And then he does. He, he gets dusted and we see what he who he's paging and the symbol for Captain Marvel shows up and it's dead quiet in the theater. I've told the story before. I'm going to tell it again. It's dead <laughs> quiet in the theater. Mm-hmm. And all you hear is Arthur go, who the fuck is that? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I busted out laughing, but you were shook. You know, you were like, what yeah. the hell is going on? You know, it's like, everybody just got dusted. Furious paging some star person. What's going mm-hmm. on? You know, you were like, what's that was, that was funny. But then after no time to die, you were, you were like, you were you were angry and sad at the same time. Like you were just like you probably more angry, but you were just like they killed James. Again, by the way, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen No Time to Die, you're mm-hmm. here late. They killed James Bond, and you were just like you were a little livid, you know. And I think maybe it was disbelief. What was it? which one was it? Anger or disbelief? I I don't man. Or is it a blur? Did you black all that out of your mind? Like you can't. Yeah, it was kind of a. It it was a blur. It was a combination of I know this man is not going to stand here and watch these missiles come out his head. And another, okay, we're going to an aerial shot of all these missiles just dusting that whole area, which is Mm -hmm. gives some air of plausibility that maybe he escaped at the very last minute somehow with a messed up leg and. Okay, an inaccessible with, heat shield or something. Like 80% of his body gone. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's just going to show up in the Aston Martin at the end. <laughs> you oh, know, man. to... Uh, okay, so now what? Like, okay, so we're done, done? Like, Eon's just going to pack it up and we ain't never going to give in to what Amazon wants us to do? This, this, is, <laughs> see, this is some of the... Um, indignation that happened at the end of the movie exactly what you're displaying right now you were kind of like <laughs> what, you know what it's like you were just like indignant like wait a minute what are we doing yeah it's like now what now I what remember saying okay we have to wait we have to wait we have to watch the credits we have to watch all the credits because i it, i was i was cool because i had seen it coming you know like halfway maybe about halfway through that final sequence mm-hmm. i remember thinking because i had forgotten about the rumors because i kind of like blocked them out of my mind yeah, and it was like, oh fuck, they're gonna kill him. I said they're mm-hmm. gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. So I was prepared when those bombs hit, but then even I was kind of like, if I don't see that 
James Bond returns at the end of those credits, I'm be right with Arthur. I'm be he's just doing two indignant <laughs> uh-huh. brothers up in here. You know, it's like so. I we waited and we finally saw the 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 back. You know, the uh, James Bond will return. But yeah, that was that was a that was a hilarious reaction. So before we get into um, what we you know how we've reacted over the last year or whatever, let's let's take a moment though. Um, and it says in my notes, anatomy of a murder. So let's look at how that we know a little bit more about how that death came to be basically because at the moment when we saw it last year in the theater there's a lot of like rumors flying around about you know why this happened what was going on blah blah blah. because you know they had changed directors a few times Mm -hmm. you know this movie was a long time in the making you can go back and listen to our um no time to die breakdowns um we we dive really deep into you know the behind the scenes stuff but we've learned a little bit more since then and we know that um it was basically Daniel Craig. That was a condition for him to come back that he wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and again, a lot of this is still speculation. It's not like, I don't think Daniel Craig has gone on record about any of this stuff or anybody Eon, for that matter. But this, the hardcore speculation is that this was a part, you know, he wanted to come back to the role, but he wanted to, um, in his mind, the logical conclusion for his bond was to die. You know? mm-hmm. So how do you feel about, because it's basically they started, you know, and we have touched on this before, but I just kind of wanted to gauge your thoughts over because we haven't talked about this in like a year. They kind of started with that ending, like they, not that specific ending as far as like, you know, the storytelling ending, but I'm saying the plot point, they yeah. wanted him to die. So how, how do you feel about that in terms of now looking back on it? Do you think that was the right thing to do? What do you, how, how do you feel? Well... <laughs> I guess right or wrong. I mean, if that was the way to get Craig back, then I think that you would have to consider a storyline that comes to that conclusion. Because, you know, the man has, in my view, single-handedly rejuvenated that franchise and made Bond relevant again. Um, You have to explore that. Because this is going to be my last film, I want to close the book on my on my set. We have a clear bookend of the of the, of the Craig years. Okay, um, but that also leads me to my next thought is okay. Well, if you're going to do that, then you also in tandem have to think through what the next step is going to be and how are we going to retell the story. You know, there has been a situation where when a new bond has been introduced, a new actor has been introduced to take the role, there is almost like a reboot. Mm-hmm. and it's But it's always been a reboot in theme, not necessarily a reboot in his whole damn life, right? So this is like the first time, here's a new bond. And everybody, let's just be cool. Like, this is like the Bond multiverse. Let's just be cool. It's another, you know, this is on Earth 8, and here's James Bond. Fine. Um, I'm almost not interested in a new bond from birth. Because to be honest with you, Daniel Craig coming in for Casino Royale, to me, felt like a, a, you know, a brand new, freshly minted James Bond from birth. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I guess in, between the time of us seeing the film to almost a year later, I have kind of made peace with the fact that James Bond is done. I can wipe my hands of it. Hmm. That that era of James Bond. Craig's I James mean, Bond. Period. Period. Hmm. 
I'm not necessarily interested in another. I mean, hey, man, not to be funny, but you have not figured out a way to go see Thor in the theater. I'm not anticipating figuring out another way to go see Bond in the theater. I'm more I'm more interested in the next Mission Impossible movie. Mm, that's exactly what Eon wants to hear. <laughs> no, that's exactly what they don't want to hear. So let me let me ask you this: Is so it, it, Kathleen Kennedy, Eon have come out and said that I think the next Bond film, they're not even anticipating shooting it. You mean you mean uh, broccoli? Oh not yeah, Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just looked up her name on uh, the Wikipedia. So yeah, um, Barbara Broccoli. I'm sorry, Barbara Broccoli and and uh, Eon have said that it's at least going to be a few years before they even shoot the next mm-hmm. Bond film. So are do you anticipate that say three years from now when that film is in theaters? I mean, you really can't guess that because you you know it's like I mean yeah, it's like Connery, now, never say never again, right? Right. I mean, sitting here now you feel a certain way, but that first trailer hits and you might be like, okay, I'm ready, you know. Mm-hmm. I I think though what's interesting is that so it just really quickly you bring up um uh, uh Majesty Secret Service, and it was interesting to see the next film after that, which I believe was Diamonds, and how they tried to kind of connected by the the pre-title sequence in Diamonds was Bond, you know, hunting down Blofeld because mm-hmm. Blofeld had, you know, at the end of Majesty's, um, spoiler alert, had, had murdered uh, Bond's wife. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it was so, it was so kind of like half-heartedly done that it was like, it was very obvious that it was like, kind of like, yeah, let's just, you know, tie that off so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I think what they're going, what they plan on doing, I, I imagine, is just treating the Craig universe, Craig Bond universe, as its own separate thing, a com- completely its own separate thing. So, mm-hmm. what happens in the new movie? To your point, I don't think we'll see like a baby Bond again. I don't think we're going to see him like get his double O status again because we right. just saw that with, with Casino Royal. I mean, it, it may happen, but I would be surprised. Mm-hmm. But I think that the next Bond, it'll be very clear that, no, this is not Daniel Craig. You know, this is not his Bond. This is a different Bond. Um, but, you know, going back to the original thing, man, I, you know, I've only seen this movie once. I only saw No Time to Die when I saw it with you. Okay. And I haven't seen it again, not because I'm angry or because I'm, <laughs> because I'm still grieving or anything like that. I just haven't had the um, the urge to see it, you know. And mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of it that I liked. There's a lot of parts of it that I really enjoyed. Um, and we again, we talked about those on our, our review episode and our reaction episode. But I just have not had the, you know, nothing has like pushed me to see that movie again. And maybe a little bit of that is um, because that last half the last 20 or 30 minutes of it did feel very much like you're driving towards an ending that makes sense um, plot-wise because that's what you wanted to do, but it doesn't make sense for this story. And it, all, it, fe- it felt to me like, okay, this, I could feel the studio's hands in there, like saying, we have to get him to the point where he dies a heroic death. And mm-hmm. then we need to manufacture whatever we need to do to get him to that point. And I felt that way watching the last 30 minutes, you know, once they get on the island. And that kind of the tone of all that felt very, um, it felt like an elegy, you know, for, for like the last 30 minutes of that movie. It just felt very much like an elegy to me. And it's like, I didn't, I don't want to, that's not something I necessarily want to experience again in the context of Bond. You know, yeah. it's like, it just felt, felt very weird. And that, 
there's you know there's been some of that in some of the other movies some of the other bond craig bond movies um i mean we just talked talked about majesties i mean tracy dies at the end of majesties you know what i'm saying it's like but it just was handled differently it made sense in majesties it didn't make sense to me in, in no time to die so for the last year i really haven't thought yeah i definitely haven't thought about no time to die and i think that and this is why I wanted to bring this point up to you or this and ask you these questions because for me, it kind of pulled me away from Bond in general. Like I, I only mm-hmm. recently watched a Bond film. Like I watched um, Living Daylights, which is one mm-hmm. of my favorite Bond films. I watched it about two or three weeks ago um, just by just on a spur of the moment thing. And that was like the first time I watched a Bond film in a very long time. And so I think it had no time to die. It may have had an effect on my... Um, fan appreciation of the entire series you know Mm -hmm. in some way almost almost like an unexpected way that i wasn't even conscious of until recently so that's what i wanted to ask you you so you're saying you're not really anticipating the next bond film which i completely understand but has has it had an effect on your overall fandom you know of bond have you watched a a movie recently or have you not no i haven't watched a movie recently Mm -hmm. um and that's that i think that has more to do with phases as opposed to a direct reaction of I'm mad, therefore I'm done with the whole thing. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I'm like that with music. I mean, you know, I'm heavy fan of, you know, a particular artist, but I haven't listened to a song, much less an album in, I don't know how long right. until something happens and then I'm triggered and then I'm activated and then, you know, I go mm-hmm. through it. Right. right. Um, you know, and it, but I mean, like in this case, thinking about the future, it does beg the question of, like, 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 you know, part of the Craig story arc was the idea that MI six, the covert agent, the idea of the of the physical spy embedded somewhere, is a dinosaur age. We can do this whole thing through remote control, and really, Q needs to be a double low status because this is this is a lot of <laughs> it's, it's Q, cy- you know. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot of cyber criminal type stuff. It's like Benji and I like we, we just saw Rogue Nation last night, so I'm on a Mission Impossible thing. <laughs> but it's like you know Benji getting upgraded from being in the office to a field agent, mm-hmm. but he's still gonna pull out his laptop and you know destabilize the the satellite and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it begs the question, okay, well, are we ready for this to be an older man's game again? Because if they're not going to start shooting for another three years or so, does this mean that we're still going to see Lashana Lynch? Are we still going to see Leia Sadu? Are we still going to see, are we still going to see Ralph Fiennes as These him? Good questions. Yeah. I mean, are we going to see Naomi Harris? Is Naomi Harris going to get Right? Is Timothy is, is Timothy Chalamet going to be the next Bond? <laughs> wow! You see what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I, I think if you if you look at Majesties again to bring that up, when you see um, uh, George show up as Bond as James Bond, you still have the same. You know, you still have Bernard. Uh, what's his name playing M? You still have the same Money Penny, right? Um, and they're just playing the against Lazenberry as the new guy. Same thing with Roger Moore. I don't think you're going to see that with this because, again, I think they're going to treat. I think they're going to treat the Craig era or the yeah the Craig era as its own universe. Mm, but mm-hmm. I, if if anyone, I could see them plucking Ben Wishaw 
out of that universe and maybe I would say Naomi Harris too, but I just I, I'm I'm you know are you you and I have the same feeling about her just playing a secretary like that just no no offense to secretaries or admin admins out there but just we've talked about that on the show as far as like how they you know took her out of the field and basically made her M's assistant yeah um, but I could see them pulling her and Ben Wishaw out and saying okay they're going to be a part of this new thing but mm-hmm. we're going to make it make it so that people understand that you know it's a different universe. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, but you, you sound like you kind of like, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm good for a little while. (laughs) I'm, I'm good for, I'm, I'm good for a little while. Do you think Um, maybe, I I think maybe I'm wondering if, because for obviously for the hardcore Bond fans, they want the next Bond to be announced tomorrow and they want production to start on the next movie the, the day after that. But I wonder if your, your sentiments are more so in line with, the mainstream public, the mainstream music moviegoers, and Barbara Broccoli being a very smart, you know, producer, mm-hmm. understands that some time needs to pass. In other words, it will be a mistake because right now this is 2022. It's the 60th anniversary of Bond yeah. since Doctor No. So it makes sense that you know, in a celebratory way, it makes sense that this would be the year that you would go ahead and announce who the next James Bond is going to be. Like you would have that press conference at the end of this year or something like that Mm -hmm. next Mm -hmm. month or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think I wonder if hearing you talk, I wonder if, if Barbara Broccoli is kind of like looking at people kind of taking the way you're thinking and applying it mainly to the masses and thinking, okay, people just saw Bond die they're probably worn out, you know, it's like, that was a lot of movie. No time to die. Yeah. I, was like, mm-hmm. I was like almost three hours. It's a lot of movie. A lot of things mm-hmm. happened. You know, Felix died, not just Bond. Felix got killed. You know, it was just like a lot of shit happened in that movie. Is it smart to just wait a couple of years? So we'll let everything kind of chill for a while. And then when we drop something in 2020, you know, some news happens in 2024, like, yeah. you know, here's the new Bond and production starts on. So, people like Arthur will be like, you know what? I wasn't interested, but now I am. Yeah. I mean, they know, they definitely know how to get the machine up and running again. And definitely the next announcement, I mean, I mean the film, of course, but the announcement is going to garner a lot of press and maybe they model it after the 65th anniversary of the franchise mm. um, and do, a, you know, and do a 2027 release of this film with, you know, Chalamet is a new Bond or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> um, and, and my interest would be, would be piked because I'm a fan of James Bond films. But I don't foresee me needing to get to the theater to see it mm-hmm. on day one. Um, and it really is because there isn't this continuation of this story we need to reinvent him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, but I, I, I think it's important to note that, and it's interesting because this is probably, I, I had kind of like fallen out, you know, of Bond, kind of like watching Bond or being interested in Bond post Living Daylights. And mm-hmm. then when I think I, I did like GoldenEye, I did like Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but by the time you get to obviously die another day, I was like, eh, you know, meh, you know, I'm cool. I mean, and think about Once the you- themes, right? Like, okay, you know, we, when we talked about some of those themes on this show, um, the classic Bond is a womanizer. Can't have that. Um, he's, he's a functioning alcoholic. 
high level functioning alcoholic. Can't have that. I mean, what are the pronouns going to be? That may be a thing. I don't know. Right. So so there's really no choice in my view, but to create a completely new formula rooted that's, that's in very dangerous. Yeah. Because because if you take away a lot of these things, you have Ethan Hunt. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, we already got Ethan Hunt. You know, we already got that. Yeah. So I, I think it's like, how do you, because you, you bring up some good points because of In No Time to Die, we saw a, a very different, I mean, I'll, I've said it a lot and I'll say it again. I think for a huge chunk of that movie, I felt like I was watching a really good Daniel Craig movie. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I didn't think I was watching a Bond movie, movie because he played so far off of type as far as James Bond is concerned that it again it just didn't feel like bond to me right um, right if you look right. at casino royale which was casino royale was a very different bond film very brave bond film you know in the way that it, it kind of bucked a lot of the conventions of bond yes mm-hmm. but it always felt like a bond film mm-hmm. and so i think this you know it, to your point it's going to be interesting to see how they can recalibrate a bond, a character that was born in the in the racism and misogynism, misogynistic uh, uh, outlook, and all the things that this character was born—the colonial outlook, the colonial—you know—all these things that this character was born in in yeah. the 1950s. How do you recalibrate that for 2024, 2027? Mm-hmm. Um, they've started to do it with the Craig, the Craig era, and you know how far can they go with that before, like I said, you end up with Ethan Hunt. That's right. I, th- I think, though, your, your Mission Impossible point is really important, though, because also with Mission Impossible, we're looking at the next two films coming out, right? And yeah. they're coming out, I think, concurrently. It'll be, it'll be 23, 24, 20, right? Yeah, two, 2023, then 2024. And I think, you know, Tom Cruise is done after that. And Ethan Hunt is not a character, in my opinion, doesn't have the tropes that you can just fit somebody else in there. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like Batman or Bond or even Superman or something. It's Ethan Hunt is Tom Cruise. Yeah. So is Mission Impossible going to continue after this? You know, maybe not. And that kind of opens up, that gives Bond a little bit more breathing, breathing room. That may also be what Barbara Broccoli is thinking about, you know. Mm, that could Who be. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? But I think bottom line is that where you are, your disconnect from Bond right now isn't so much for one thing it's like you're not really into the future of Bond but your current disconnect from the franchise isn't so much that you're reeling from No Time to Die it's because you kind of go in phases just like you said you, you know your music yeah. analogy um, that's pretty much where you are right yeah I, I you know what I, I, uh, I guess to say it in a sentence it feels like you'd have to retell the story and I already saw that it's, it's, it's like, the, it's like the, the, la- the final trilogy of Star Wars well, I already saw the, first, the the 77, 80, and 83 movies. You're making me watch this again? <laughs> All right. Well, well, to tie this off cleanly, I don't see myself showing up day one in the theater. Would you show up day one in the theater? Would you make it happen? I, I would either... To see it on day one. I mean, not to not to get out of the question, but it really depends upon how excited I am in the buildup. If they if they announce a bond and I'm looking at this dude and I'm like eh and then they drop a trailer and I'm like eh eh it's mm-hmm. like no I'm not I'm not day one I'll probably just stay at home and watch Living Daylights you know what I'm saying but like you you know what you've what literally described a lot of people's reactions to Daniel Craig 
Yes, except that's why I added the trailer moment because a lot of people, when you saw Daniel Craig, you were mm-hmm. like, eh. but then when that trailer dropped, mm-hmm. if you remember, mm-hmm. especially for the callbacks they did, like him getting out of the water, and it was like the callback to Dr. No, and then you see, mm-hmm. I forgot everything that was in the first trailer. But the way that trailer is constructed, it was like, ooh, this looks. He might be able to pull this off. Uh-huh. This might, and then you go see it, and of course your mind is blown. So, yeah. But it, it, you know what? If they were to do something like that again, if they mm-hmm. were to announce a bond that causes some controversy, and they were able to drop a movie that you did not see coming, that yeah. you never saw coming, because no one ever yeah. saw Casino Royal coming, Royal mm-hmm. coming, you just didn't mm-hmm. see it coming. If they were to do that, that would be. I mean, can you imagine that, bro? I mean, mm. for them to do that, you know what I'm saying? For them to do yeah. that two arrows back to back, that would be crazy. So I'd be I'd be very happy for that to happen. All right. So we're going to call this a full lid on this episode of Mad Unreal in our September 2022 roll-up. We will see you in 29-ish days. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think both about Andor coming out in September 21 and how are you dealing with the aftermath of the death of James Bond? Hit us up on Twitter. Hashtag your comments with Mad Unreal. Again, I'm Arthur. That's Isaac. We'll see you next show. Peace. Keep it on real.